Hello listeners, welcome back to the latest episode of Loss of Lieutenant. It's a very special episode we've got here for you today. Uh, I'm Nick and I'm joined by a very special guest. Gavin Bateman. Gavin Bateman, the man himself. How are you doing, Gav? Good, how are you? I'm very well. That's good. We just had a game, that was uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, in this day and age, who would think that people can actually meet up to play a game of Infinity? I know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brave new world, but no, it was good to have a game. Uh, a bit rusty. But no, nah, man, it was good to good to throw down some dice Look, and, it, it, and possess I, some tags. I had a, I had a real great time. <laughs> we um so we played a bit of a hodgepodge mix of N three code one potential N four. Who knows? Um, just to try out some of these new rules and, and, and give it a bit of a bit of a run around. And, and I think uh, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, I think I think it went pretty well. So we played N three, but we also added uh, some of the changes that we've seen. Uh, come through in code one you know uh so we did the the crit change we did the dodge changes we did some hacking stuff yep yep the the spotlight change um we did the martial arts uh change the martial arts chart yep um anything else that's all it's oh and the awful new cover rules oh yeah yeah um which by the way teaser i fucking hate yeah Um, i don't think there was a single face-to-face role where there was out of or maybe like one or two face-to-face I mean, roles that was actually out of the cover. impetuous model yeah sure. <laughs> outside of that it just yeah the, the cover rule i don't like but outside of that everything else i thought was really really quite an improvement or oh, the crit one i'm still on the fence about but it did make armor valuable which is a good skill to see yeah I guess, so. yeah so i um just sort of chucked together a, <laughs> a a limited insertion two tag white banner list i mean it could have been vanilla eugene because i didn't actually have any um any link teams or anything, but it was uh, a Guila, uh, sorry, a, a Guija and a, uh, a Blue Wolf. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, I was really keen to try out the Blue Wolf, Blue Wolf with that uh, burst five AP uh, AP Spitfire. But um, Gavin, what happened managed, to him? Yeah, you managed to possess it in uh, your first turn. Oh, sorry, you possessed my Guija in your first turn, and the Guija killed the Blue Wolf. Um, yeah. So. Uh, look, that was uh, that was living the dream. I didn't think it'd go that well. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping to put a wound on it and get it scared. Uh, and in one order, yeah, uh, instead put of putting it dead. instead of putting one wound on it, you managed to put four, yeah. uh, which was um, and I've yeah failed all my armor saves. Yeah. So. so, but you were able to pull it back pretty well, all things considered. Um, ended up being what uh, I had two boxes to your one, and yep. we had one classified. Yeah, we played supplies. Yeah. Oh no! I got. I ended up getting secure as well. So it was two two boxes and two classifieds to one box, one classified yeah. in the end. But all things considered, uh, man, that Guija was. Uh, and this will go talking to the crits is how how much uh, harder it is to deal with tags. Yeah, big time. Um, well, because he's in cover and you, like we, he was getting cover, except for when I had purposefully had him in the open. Yeah. He was getting cover pretty much all the time. Yeah. So the armor eight puts him up to armor eleven in cover. Meaning against combi rifles, he was needing to get more than like four. Yeah, not even just combis, but even Spitfires and, and regular HMGs were just uh, just not putting any damage on that guy. Um, I think I think the crit changes paired with the way that the cover works in Code One because that's the rules we uh, we use was 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 pretty full on for trying to deal with those sort of attacks because you'd be just barely poking cover and getting it. So. It's a bit, a bit tricky, and like even there was a situation where it was a fairly long range shot, and the um, I was shooting at your bulleteer, bulleteer yeah. which 
generally it you, shouldn't have had cover. Yeah, in the in in any in any other game you've ever played, it'd be like, no, nah, he's in the open because he was just basically touching the side of a building. But because we were using the um, what's this stuff? What's this stuff uh, from? Kalstrom. Kalstrom um, terrain, yeah. the new thick card buildings that CB have released. Um, which have the little tabs that jut yeah. out at the sides of the, of the buildings, he was getting cover off that tiny little tab. Yeah, the, there, there, was a, there was a spot the building, where you so could definitely say some of him, not was, much. Was, con- was um, concealed, yeah. Yeah, and in fact, it, I actually think it makes it more confusing because you're going, this doesn't make sense that he's getting cover, you know what I mean? Whereas the other rules, the it's pretty obvious when someone's in cover or not. It's very rare that you actually have any argument about it. And we didn't have arguments, but we're like, is this? You know? Yeah. But the way it works, and I mean, there was a couple of times where you're looking at your tag and you're going... Yeah, man, um, that small thing is giving him cover. So, yeah, um, don't want to harp on it too much, but that's one. Personally, that's one one of the changes that I really hope doesn't make it through to N four. Yeah, and it's the sort of thing that we do just have to sort of wait and see with. I mean, like you can see why you would for N for code one, you don't want to have it too confusing with yeah. like percentages and the, uh, this much of the silhouette. It's just a hard rule of yeah. yes or no. Yeah, but to play it at the sort of level that we usually play at. Yeah. Well, well, part of part of Infinity is being rewarded for positioning, right? You know, getting those angles where you can, uh, you know, mitigate cover. But with how... Um, I guess, I mean, it would. If, if you consider cover as an almost constant, that means you are being even more... rewarded even more for positioning yeah. if you can get them out of cover. Yeah. But the fact that it is so hard to like, do that... Yeah. So, and just because... For me, it just becomes a bit too... Like, things... Uh, a bit too resilient mm. um, but yeah that, that was my one out of that game that was the one thing that like really hurt outside of that uh, everything else played pretty well um, the crits did what you would expect they they feel roughly the same for, for low low armoured things things that would have died still die uh, but anything with armour geez five or above mm. um, it feels like you're pushing shit uphill to kill them which, which on one hand is good because uh the value of armor is very obvious and the strategy of just going, well, I'll crit things to death won't play out the way it used to. Uh, but on the other hand, there gets this point in the game where you just kind of lose tools to deal with stuff and you just have these pieces that just bully in ways that they wouldn't have bullied before. Yeah, and so. that's what happened in, in our game where you had that multi-sniper rifle and HMG yeah. and they were both dead by your second or third turn. So basically, you said that turn you only, two, turn yeah, two, yeah. yeah. So you you said that you only had combis left, basically. Yeah, I had I had I had a couple of combis. I had combis and I had Spitfire, a Spitfire left. Um, but in cover, what was that? You were needing fours to succeed, I think. Yeah. Yeah. To pass. So so like it was just impulse, and there was there was um, interestingly though, like I think what you might see is you might see depending on how they um, manage hacking and that. I think that hacking might become the way. Uh, that you're meant to deal with tags yeah which makes a lot of sense um some things will for sure need to change to make that the case but um i also had an assault hacker in my in my list obviously because i possessed his tag but it died pretty early and uh all through the game i was just wishing it still uh, still was alive uh just to slow down that tag so um it would be good to see the hacking landscape become more diverse again so hopefully that's the case but um we'll sort of see how other things shake out yeah, but is this the first game you've played in a while? Or you've got any other games in, or uh, I've had about this is my third game in the last probably week or so, week and a half. But uh, that's decent. Yeah, uh, but they've all been sort of like practice hot, like you know, uh, code one slash hodgepodge games, just to sort of see how the new things feel. Um, so there's definitely hasn't been any sort of like big brain plays, just sort of you know feeling it out. No, yeah. uh, unfortunately, uh, no sheep stations were won or lost on 
on our game today, but no, it was good to good catch up. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's also like the state of of, of things at the moment with the coof. I mean, it kind of <laughs> means that um, I mean, there's no events happening, so yeah. you can't really have warm up games for events or yeah. anything. It's, everyone's sort of, I mean, in my opinion, everyone is kind of in a holding pattern. Yeah. For for the for I mean, when things loosen up, but yeah. also when later in the year, still fingers crossed. Uh, N four comes out. Yeah, so. well, that's yeah, it's a good point between between the Couve and um, and the the fact that a new edition's changing means that like uh, the game's sort of in a holding pattern anyway. Um, there, there'd be uh, a lot of people that are sort of like they don't want to really commit to a new army, not knowing what the army's going to look like. Um, so today I played Shock Army, uh, just getting those games in while I can uh, before it goes on hiatus for a little while. So. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like an awkward time because you can't play games anyway, so you can't plan for events that exist right now. Yeah, and you can't even sort of like theory hammer about what's going to happen in six twelve months time. Yeah, uh, because the editions change and we we don't really have a lot of information about what N four is going to look like. You know, we've got some some changes which are big, and uh, uh, you know, Carlos early on said that um, this was more of a tidy up than a major change, but. Uh, the way Infinity works is it doesn't take a lot for the cha- the game to change a lot. The fact that they could have done nothing but change crits, and as far as I'm concerned, the game changes on its on its head. Yeah. Um, the the list I took today was the list I took to HeroCon, and I won HeroCon with that. And I wouldn't take that list to HeroCon now. Yeah. No. Sure. Um, the lack of uh, like AP, uh, the lack of my own heavy armor. Um, I you know like uh it just the way that sort of tags and that real heavy armor works now that you need to have something to to contest it yeah so um it's not like i'd have to throw my whole list out but i definitely think that you'd have to make tweaks uh, which is definitely not a bad thing and you'd expect that in an addition change yeah now before we go any further um i did just want to do a quick shout out one of the um the guys who's probably local to your area um gav ryan is it jago or yago uh, Jago? Um, Jago? I think so. Um, so he's, Jago. Ryan Jago has um, started his own little uh, terrain business. Yeah, Brutal Cities. Brutal Cities. So um, have a have a jump on Facebook. He's got a, a Facebook page and also a website where you can see all the different model kits. I mean, it's, it's your um, standard sort of Infinity style... Um, yeah, city. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty like uh, like obviously it's uh, brutalism. It's that, yeah, like real... that's right. Brutalism is the is definitely the term. Yeah. And it's um if you're really into that cyberpunky sort of uh, style that you see in things like Blade Runner, yeah, it wouldn't time. take a lot of work to make these tables look exactly like that. It's um if you look at any individual buildings, you might be a bit intimidated because a lot of them are quite tall. Uh, but I can tell you that when a whole table is built with this stuff, it plays really really well. And he's taken a lot of work thinking of ways to make the interior is playable the way you sort of like pull the building away from the side that way you can play your levels and stuff like that sure because most of the time like if someone's standing oh, instead of instead yeah. of like instead of them stacking on top of each other like pancakes yeah you can pull the side out of the yeah yeah it's, it's like a dollhouse where you like pull oh, the wow. side off um, which I've never seen it like and once you've seen it you're like fuck that's such a good idea yeah because what happens like in a lot of my games is someone puts something on a roof and it's like well I'm not going to bother going in because I couldn't be bothered yeah um, he's definitely put a lot of thought into it and he is an infinity player so you can tell because things like um you know the 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 tolerances he's given for cover and stuff like that um are there so yeah ryan jago is a really good guy and he's um he's he's stepped out and uh starting to make his train and uh, i look forward to getting some actually yeah so i know there's a couple of guys in melbourne who have put orders in already i think one of them or two of them may have received them i think russ got it i think he was showing that off yeah so um 
I'm sure we'll start to see some of this on uh, on tables once we can uh, play on tables again. And um, yeah, so if you're keen to, if you're looking at uh, at building your own table, definitely definitely check out what um, what he's got available on the on the brutal cities. Yeah, give it a look. Um, this is an unpaid sponsorship. Wait, we're not getting paid? <laughs> oh, ripped off. Yeah. Oh. Um, cool, but I mean, I guess we kind of just sort of jumped into having a chat there, but I, without much of an introduction of, of who you are or what the plan is for today. So, um, yeah, I put a shout out on the uh, Facebook page for questions and answers for, for Gav because you're a bit of a celebrity. Not going to lie. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, kind of, kind of, <laughs> definitely kind of, kind of a big deal. So My house smells like rich mahogany. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, when did you get? When did you start playing Infinity? Oh, shit. Uh, 2014. Uh, about six to 12 months before um, N3 dropped. Uh, I played uh, probably two years before that, like one or two games, but it just didn't sort of hit me back then. Um, and then the old world blew up. My son was about a year or so old, so I had some free time. Uh, started to get a little bit of free time and thought, you know, I want to get back into a hobby. And Infinity back uh, back then was, I mean, not that it's expensive now, but it was really quite affordable. So gave it a go um, and and fell in love with it. Um, I used to play with a guy called Colin Clark, who back in the day was one of the the big players around. He was a very good player, you know, placed at, you know, CanCon and those sort of things. And uh, I spent the first six to 12 months losing every game. Like, I didn't win a game for easily six months, probably that, closer to 12. That sounds like when I first started playing. Yeah. Um, and, and he yeah, it was just one of those... But it was good, right? Because, like, you, you got to kind of get comfortable with your licks, you know? Like, losing is a big part of Infinity. Um, and that, I guess, can be intimidating to some. But for me, it was, it was kind of rewarding when I started to see that progress. It started with getting flogged and then... Oh, you know, learning how to deal with TR bots and, you know, going on from there. So, yeah. All those little stages, those little steps that we, we all make as beginners. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I've been playing since, what, like 2014. So, what's that, good six years? Yeah. Uh, my first CanCon, I went after like uh, like four games, I think, I went to CanCon. Oh, wow. And I came like 37th. So, so that was... Uh, and, and back then, I think it was like 50 players. Sure. So, it wasn't even like a big event, really. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, come a long way since then. There you go. And um, why is Infinity the game for you, Gav? Um, it's so sappy, but really it's a community. Oh. It really is. Um, the game itself is excellent, but the reason the game is excellent uh, is kind of the community. It's a chicken and the egg situation, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like the, the, the game itself attracts a certain so, sort of person and the game itself demands a so, certain sort of person to make the game work. You have to work with your opponent. Um, you know... By, by playing with, you know, intent and stuff like that, you have to talk it out. You can't just be like, I don't know, figure it out. Yeah. The game absolutely breaks down if you take that mentality into a game. Uh, and what that does is it means that most people that, or everyone that plays it, plays it with that spirit of, let's work together to get this game um, have done. The best, have the best game that we can. Yeah, and I've had very, like, I've, fuck, I've played thousands of games, and I've probably had two to three legitimately bad games in that amount that that that's incredible i played warhammer before this and i'd say i had a one in two strike rate of shit games wow wow so yeah there you go now you up in in sorry recently you were the number one infinity player in the world yes according to the its yes according to its yeah how'd you do that uh, you play a lot. You, you tra- yeah, you tra- you travel a lot. And you play a lot of games, man. Um, yeah, I, I um, shit. I think my 
I think I was like one draw and 30-something wins. So, wow. So that was pretty good. Uh, the thing with winning tournaments, as opposed to winning big or anything like that, is playing pretty conservatively, playing pretty safe. Um, the big trick I find is um, if you've got a choice between attacking and defending, it's almost better to defend, almost always. Um, because in a game of three turns that goes for two, two hours, if you're patient, eventually something comes up that you can exploit. So you've got to kind of like hold back, hold back until you find that thing that you can sort of jump on. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's one of the big things I think that mm. you sort of notice when you're playing. But the big thing is uh, if you have a choice between, uh, you know, a big risky play to give you a 10-0 or you can win with seven. Yeah. Take the seven. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about just consistently getting those numbers up. So, um, yeah, I guess um, that's all I can really say. A lot of it is just luck as well. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it is a dice game. It is. Like, I mean, today I failed six. Was yeah. it? Was it six? Yeah. Um, it must have been. Because you At had least a lot it, of I had, I had eight orders, and it only took me an order, I think, to get there. So I failed, I think, six in a row. Uh, whip rolls to pull a box out of a supply so um, yeah like di- dice happen too and you've yeah. got to kind of like roll with the punches yeah cool so. well I mean we've got a, like three pages worth of questions here oh, here that people have submitted on the Facebook pages which uh, we definitely appreciate from all our uh, all our listeners out there so I'm just going to start reading out these questions we can have a bit of a chat and yeah. see, see how things go so the uh, the very first question I've got here is from uh, from Kevin Hamilton who is uh, also a host of the Wassily Lieutenant. Uh, podcast and he his question is how many rum and cokes after the first day of the two day event is the right amount to achieve total victory oh, uh, so I'm a, I'm a little girl who doesn't like rum oh, so really? it was actually well, Jack I mean you can ins- yeah. you can insert your it was, drink uh, of it, was it, it was if he's talking about HeroCon it was Jack and Cokes and uh, the answer is lose count because I did oh, um, wow. <laughs> uh, but the trick is drink uh, set your alarm every two hours and drink water and Panadol every two hours that's what I did. So I got what Panadol on the on the next day. You know, oh no no! The, so the like night, that you're night, dr- you're, de- you're down in Panadol every two hours. Yeah. the night of oh, yeah. drinking. I, uh, which um, I'm not a doctor, so don't take this as medical <laughs> advice. Yeah. For the love of God. Yeah. Um, but no, that that night, um, I don't know, it was probably eleven o'clock midnight, and I was already real drunk, and I'm like, shit, I'm on top table. I need to uh, I need to come good for it. So I I set my alarm for every two hours, and I uh, I had like bottles of water every two hours and I had to go to the toilet every two hours interestingly <laughs> enough and I, t- I took a Panadol every two hours too and I was still pretty dusty so yeah. but yeah the, the, the right amount is when you can't remember how many you've had you're probably you're probably sitting pretty nice yeah. nice what about um, do you drink playing while you're playing ever um, yeah not, not generally in tournaments because I'm like a bit loose anyway sure um, I'd just be a bit of a mess I need to like big brain it like the amount of times I've left tokens or my army or something at a tournament, I can't tell you. I've lost so much shit because I'm just a bit bit scatterbrained anyway. So the idea of drinking uh, during an event, uh, that would be a real slow game. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, the, the probably... We, uh, in Melbourne, we play in uh, House of War and they've yeah. got a liquor license there. Yeah. So they you can buy beers and things. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably ha- maybe have... When I'm down there on a Thursday night, I might just have one, obviously, because yeah. I've got to drive as well. Um, but then, in saying that, when I was up at Novacore mm-hmm. last year, um, which is held at a licensed venue as well, yeah. the, um, yeah, the a few Gallipoli more than Club, that. yeah, yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, a, it's, pro- it's probably a, f- a few beers per game. Yeah. Um, 
as it Which, should be. I mean, I really don't have any sort of delusions of grandeur. I'm not a top table, not a top table player. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see how that could affect how you might um, come come at the yeah, game. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm not a big drinker. I drink maybe three or four times a year at, sure. at best. Um, so when I drink, I do it properly. Uh, so this, you know, like <laughs> moderation is not a word in my vocabulary, unfortunately. So uh, this whole, oh, I'll have a drink and play a game, that won't. Like if I've had one of, I'm probably on the way to six or seven. So yep. um, once again, this is not health advice. Do not binge drink people. Um <laughs> But yeah, so like for me, the idea of having one and just playing a game just wouldn't work for me. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. Um, well, we can move on to the next question here from uh, Ryan Kirby. Is uh, The background for Infinity is fantastic. I think everyone agrees with that. Uh, how well do you think the rules and, ga- and gameplay reflect the fluff? Which rules and interactions do you think best realise the narrative? What are the real clunkers for you that immediately kill the immersion? Oh, okay, so the one that springs to mind is Specfire. Uh-huh. Um, Specfire doesn't In sort of... In a good of, way or a bad way? Uh, I think it's an excellent rule. I think it doesn't... Uh, I think it pulls you out of the immersion, though. Okay. Uh, but I think it's a necessary sort of abstract representation because... Um, so you... I mean, you're from back in the day when you had to draw oh, you parabolas had parabolas and stuff. Yeah, you know, like, I, I, am not a, I am not a clever man. <laughs> and the idea of getting me to do trig to, um, to shoot someone is... Uh, is not going to happen. So look, from a from a gameplay point of view, I love that Specfire works the way it does now, but I have had plenty of people who get a little uh, like confused or annoyed, particularly new people going <laughs> like confused that that's how it works. Yeah. But it's like I'm 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 inside of a building. Sure, there's got open windows. Yeah. And you're you're trying to make me believe that that grenade bounced off. Yeah. Or even or even like the smoke. Yeah. You know, like if if any of you's touching smoke, you're in smoke. That's another one that definitely pulls you out because. Why is this giant werewolf who's just got a toe and smoke, you know, able to stab my tag who's two inches away, you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, you do lose a bit of realism there, but you need, I think, uh, you know... There's, you have to draw a line somewhere. You do. And I think uh, on the altar of realism, um, you, you need to sacrifice some things to make the game uh, flow. So they're, they're definitely not criticism, but I definitely think they do pull you out a little bit. Yeah, but. yeah. And I, I think Infinity does have a great flow to it mm. in terms of your action-reaction, uh, the, the order structure mm. and the way that you interact with the other player on the, that you're playing against. Um, and to make some sacrifices to break an immersion to increase that or improve that level of flow of the game itself, yeah. when we're playing three games in a day that take yeah. two hours two hours a ga- uh, per game, yeah. you need you do need to have it as, as much flow as possible. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, well, I mean, Specfire, I'd say as well. Um, there's, I, I, I think the like the, the in terms of things that do uh, strongly reflect the, the yep. fluff perspective. I think hacking's pretty good. Yep. Um, it's, I mean, it is probably a bit too complicated for my liking in terms of all the segments of the game. The hacking is something that I love the idea of, yep. but just barely ever use it. Yeah, for me, uh, let's go a little bit off tangent, but it wouldn't be uh, Lost Lieutenant if we didn't go off tangent. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. At least Julian's not here, so there's no bowel movement. Oh my god! Uh, like, so I'm actually at your house now, yeah. Gav, and Julian put a message on the chat group. He's like, "Guys, Skype me in." And I said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> this thing would go to next week. You'd, you'd never get home. You'd never get home. Like the thing with hacking, I find is like there's a million different programs but you almost always use one. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a killer hacker, you're all, it's very rare you're not doing red run. Um, and that that's sort of all throughout hacking. And I think if, like, 
it should either be a legitimate choice or no choice at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd prefer there be choice, but there needs to be like relevant reasons to have that granularity. Don't just have it for the sake of it. Uh, martial arts currently is another good example. Like if you've got martial arts two, it's like oh, so I have martial arts one because unless I'm hitting an AC two, I'm using level one. So yeah. I do really like the new changes to martial arts, um, mostly. But on top of that, you need to have some profile changes to make that work as mm. well. Because there are certain units that definitely will get hurt uh, with the changes. So Yeah, but it's not the end of the world. No. Um, Val Siniston asks, Looking back at your time amongst the Infinity community, did you ever imagine it to grow so strong? Uh, what do you think have been some key milestones and or figures that helped shape it? That helped shape it? Alright, so for key figures, uh, you've got the three people at Toy Soldier Imports. Uh, Con... Dion, and I think it's Andrew, I believe are the three that run Toy Soldier Imports. Uh, I was one of the, the first ones sort of really pushing uh, tournaments, I know that, and what I can tell you is tournaments wouldn't have got off the ground the way they did without um, those guys actively sponsoring events. And they didn't just, um, you know, they weren't just willing to help if you asked them, they, uh, particularly Dion, would contact me out of the blue and go, I hear you're running something, how can we help? Um, early on, uh, that was a big deal because, you know, early on, if you got 10 people to an event, you would, ch- you would cheer. And I remember the amount of work and the amount of, like, bribing to get 20-player events back in the day. Um, and the amount of, like, money, like, I personally spent just to get events running. Uh, so to have their support to just help with that was a big deal. So for me, Toy Sword Soldier Imports um, were fucking massive getting, mm-hmm. the, getting the community off the ground. There were pe- plenty of people playing but it was almost never a tournament and the tournaments they were weren't ITS so like ITS in Australia I'm not sure what our numbers are but I know we're pretty pretty high up now with how many um, tournaments we play and a big part is because of the support that they did and there's plenty of TOs I mean you've got them all over the place oh yeah too many to too many to name but like the TOs you know it's a lot of work running a tournament it's a lot of fucking work and to get so many um, people taking the time and the money because of the um, it costs money to run tournaments even if you're getting uh, sponsorship um, or you're taking entry fees uh, I know most most TOs take a hit to some degree uh, they won't tell you how much mm-hmm. um, but man you go to like Moab and you look at what Gideon uh, pulls and you're like you've got to stop like that guy sure. is nuts he, <laughs> he clearly um, um, he puts so much into that mm. so. so yeah for me it's the people that like sort of run events um they're the ones that have like got it to this stage and we're at a stage where uh, things are humming pretty well now like yeah. without any effort really um, well not, that's not to say that but like I opened up um, entry for Novacore 2020 and we capped out at 110 in like less than a week yeah. which is insane I remember last the year before um, I had an initial cap of 50 which took about 3 months to hit and then once I hit 50, um, CanCon sort of hit. And then we went from... No, actually, we I had about 20 and it took about three months to get there. Yep. And then it went from 20 to capped out at 100 in about two weeks after that. Because yeah, sure. people just lost it. You yeah. know, like CanCon just happened and... Just ramped up. And that's a big thing, right? It's not just like one event's great. It's not that Novacore is great. It's the fact that there are so many good events which keep the party going. Yep. People are like, I had fun here. I saw these people that I want to hang out with again. Uh, and that's why, like I've always said, it's not a competition. It's not Novacore competing with CanCon or HeroCon or fucking whatever. It's having like a robust tournament scene means that like, oh, 
yes, I can miss this one, but there's others around and it just keeps that vibe going. That's right. And what I mean, what we're seeing at the moment, I mean, not right now, but um, compared to a few years ago, yeah. is that we've got basically every capital city in Australia Has and GBI. even Newcastle, yeah. um, which could like to call it, <laughs> would call itself the, the capital city of the country, I guess, um, is... Um, as a two-day tournament, yeah, we've got. I mean, you got Canberra, but now there's we've had the ones in in Melbourne and Perth and and Brisbane and and so really, you 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 exposing a lot more players to that two-day tournament scene, yeah. And also, um, it's been great that we've had so many people who are willing to travel such long distances yeah. around the country because none of these things are really close to each other, yeah. Um, to be able to 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 attend these these tournaments and and just like you say, go to these places and meet these people, and so if, if if someone like I came to um, before Novacore, it was called uh, King of the Castle. I think it was was the one before. Or yeah. Was it Castle Assault? No, it was after. Is um something else. Anyway, I can't remember what it was called. But I came. To, I was the only person who came up. Battle from in Melbourne. the Vines. Yes, Battle in the Vines. Yeah. That's right. I came up from uh, from Melbourne uh, to that, mm-hmm. and then you've got we had you had Novacore the following year, and we yeah. had like a dozen people come yeah. up from Melbourne. Yeah. Um, which is which is just amazing. No, so. it's great. And what you find is. You get some people that they'll they'll message me and they'll they'll sort of be like on the fence. They go, "Oh, I'm not that good a player." Or who cares? Who gives a fuck, man? Like one person wins it. Yeah. Who you know? Like I. There's still a hundred people. I can tell you that I do not, I do not care, and I do not create events for the person who wins it because those like super competitive players, and I consider myself one of those players, will go to those events anyway because they're just they're happy to be there, right? I, I I think that like the best way to run an event is to run it for everyone else because there are plenty of people who, who this could be their first tournament. They might've had bad experience in other games. And like, I don't want people to, uh, I don't want the mentality to change to the point where people like the reward for winning is so important that like you have the risk of like sportsmanship and that becoming poor. Mm -hmm. So for me running an event for, for everyone, including the people on those bottom tables is really important. That's why you know, like I put a lot of like effort into um, like prizes and getting stuff out for them, and also like there's very little prizes that are like big deal prizes that are given to first place. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and you know, you get a thing usually, or maybe two things, but there's there's a million things. So like, what's it matter? So, yeah. And that's why like this year I, I put a little bit more effort into swag and moving forward for Novacore next year. Uh, hopefully it runs. Um, hopefully this thing, you know, calms down. I'm sure, by I'm sure, I'm sure it will. Particularly uh, with what's happened, what everything that's happening in Australia with the, like it's pretty much under control now. Yeah, it is. Um, but you know, like this time last year, we weren't even like the idea that this could happen. So who, who, of course. who fucking knows? But um, the idea moving forward is to put a, like a lot more thought into things that are special for the event. Um, that aren't really relevant to winning or losing. And that's why I did the custom mini, but um, those things are real expensive to do. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, and it takes a long time as well. Yep. So because it was like this time last year, I was starting to like look into it. So sure. So was that would have that been even before the first? No, like no, or just after. So Nova it was Core just after Novacore. Yep. I, I sort of took uh, probably a month off. Yep. Off everything to do with it because I was just a bit burnt out, and then I I started. Um, working on it again and actually you can thank Viv from Knights of Dice another another plug unpaid plug mm-hmm. uh, that that mini wouldn't have got made without his enthusiasm because so he was, how, like, what's the actual process in making a miniature like that uh, so um, so what happened is I first 
Uh, I spoke to Viv and said, like, just to get some ideas on, like, what it would cost for the production side of things. And oh, for those who aren't aware, it's, we're talking about um, the part of the swag for Novacore was a, a custom miniature of Bostria based on the Sunsei yeah, um, yeah. miniature. Yeah, that's it. So, um, the first thing I did was I spoke to Viv and he, he was really enthusiastic and he kind of got it in my head that it was at least possible. Uh, and, and the cost of production per unit uh, wasn't wasn't too bad once you'd um, once you got up to a hundred plus um, being made. Uh, I spoke to I spoke to Bostria uh, and Bostria being the chill duty is it's like yeah sure no dramas. Uh, later on, um, I think it was Hell Halloween was like, hey did you go did you ask about that? I'm like yeah I definitely asked Bostria but Bostria being like the super chill guy, I'm not sure if he if he um if he uh, got, got any sort of uh yeah green yeah light but look, look high, it's um yeah there's there's no money being made off it or anything like that but no um once once i got that i uh i started looking for a um a sculptor i found one who did uh aaron Ru- aaron ruiz uh i believe he did the oh, he did one for a different tournament as well okay uh he did like a Gutierre Interventor, I believe. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I spoke to him and got a quote, and that that ain't cheap. But uh, and at this stage, obviously, I hadn't got any um, like entry fees, right? So I was sort of like taking a punt that we would get the numbers, mm-hmm. uh, and I was relatively confident. But you never know. Uh, and I had to obviously pay that off my own back to start with. The money ends up coming back when you get your entry fees. But um, there's still a risk there. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like, oh, is my wife going to notice this big chunk of money <laughs> just disappearing? Um, but nah, uh, you know, took the punt, uh, paid for it, and it, it, you know, and the rest is history. So it's it's not that any part of it is hard. It's that you've got to like sort of plan it a long time because everything takes longer than you think. Um, you know, the, the sculptors, you know, they're artists. So mm-hmm. it's not as simple as, you know, you pay X and get it on X date. There's yep. a lot of, you know, like talking about it and, and you know, trying to change stuff. And so, yeah, um, I was lucky that I planned so early. Uh, I think you probably, ideally, you're going to want a minimum six months lead time just to make sure that everything's done on time because, you know, like, you know, Viv um, was doing it really at a really, really generous cost. Uh, The guys at Knights of Dice to produce the models. Um, But, you know, like, he's not really making a lot of money off that. He was doing that to, you know, help the community as well. Sure. So... You, you know, you can't just be like, I need this done this day. So you've got to give him plenty of notice because really he's just doing it as sort of like a passion project sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it takes, it takes a bit of time, but I um, uh, hope I might might try and do it again next year, but we'll sort of see. There's a yeah. lot that goes into it. No, of course. All right. Well, um, I mean, we're jumping and changing in all different directions now, but uh, we've got a uh, question from uh, Benjamin Carl Colero who asks how accurate is the dictator of infinity uh, about the changes to crits so the dictator obviously being our very own Julian Jorgensen uh, has been quite vocal on the past few episodes about his opinions on crits I mean he's been vocal about it but I'm not sure he's been that coherent because so, sometimes he sometimes he complains that people are going to die too much and then the other times he complains that people aren't going to die enough and yeah so so um uh, coherent and uh, or correct and Julian is is kind of an anathema, right? <laughs> like, uh, but look, he he also does make a good point in the fact that um, he's kind of right when he says that things will either will die a lot or they won't die because 
that never happened before. A crit was a crit. It did one wound and you knew what it was going to do. You could bank it, it on was, it. It was a known commodity. It was a known... Like, a 100% chance of doing one wound is a reliable thing that you can bank a strategy on. Uh, whereas now, um, you can't. There is... And you're going to have... You will. You'll have games where you crit someone and you're, and their fusilier will, will tank both saves and you'll it'll annoy you um, in the same way that, like a crit may have annoyed you before mm-hmm. you're still going to get annoyed by that and conversely um, you could have a heavy infantry armor 5 in cover and or, he needs, or a tag yeah right like like, and he rolls those two ones and the chance is so low but what it means now is that like crits are more swingy than they were before mm-hmm. you, you but what it does do and there is no arguing with it is that crits have improved armor so if the goal of uh, the crit change was to improve armor, then they've absolutely succeeded. Um, whether you agree with it or not, it has definitely done that. But if the goal of crits was to like remove people from getting annoyed by crits, I think it's kind of probably done the opposite. Yeah, because whereas before... I mean, now you're getting that extra armor save, which means that you can potentially do two wounds to someone that before you would only do one wound to. Yeah. So what that means is not only are you could you piss off the person who is critted against because if they fail all yeah. their armor saves but also you can be pissing off the person who's critting because the person then passes all their armor saves yeah. and the crit was, yep. was, was was what's the point of it sort of thing yeah exactly so I, I, I don't think that like um, the people that complained before uh, that crits were a problem uh, I, I wasn't one of them I had no issue with crits uh, but considering some of the names that people call me it's probably <laughs> it's probably not a surprise that I don't have an issue with crits um but I think if you had an issue before, like if you found an excuse to get upset with dice, this isn't going to improve that. That's sure. my issue. The people that like, some people uh, will use like a crit and be like, oh, I lost because of that. And sometimes it's true, but very fucking rarely. Mm. Very rarely is that actually the case. So if you were the type of person that like insulated your own sort of ego with like a crit happened, I don't think that this is going to change that. In fact, I think it may exacerbate that. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, in a single game, how many face-to-face rolls do you have? Like, dozens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so for you to blame it all on one and, or two and, and how many like times that. like could you have done something that was a normal roll to to achieve it anyway? You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, it's a dice game, and there is variance. That's that's always going to be the case. Uh, and but if if it was sorry, someone next door was dying. Oh my god. Um, if it was just dice, then you wouldn't see the same people on the top tables. Yeah, so. that's true. That's true. No, I, I think that's fine. But um, it kind of does lead us into the next question here, which is uh, from uh, from Gavin Drake, who asks, uh, "Which dark god and what did you offer to be so damn critical?" Yeah, there actually is. There's some sort of strategy to this. I um, with the game that the way it is now in N three, um. I very almost always I'm looking at uh, rolling four dice or more in the active turn. I very rare, very very rarely will I engage anything unless things are the chips are down. Unless I'm rolling four dice or more. So the simple fact is, if I run fifteen plus orders, which is what I find comfortable, if I'm running fifteen plus orders and I'm rolling four dice, four to five dice every time I attack, I'm rolling more chances to crit. Yeah. Uh, on top of that. I almost never dodge in the current game. Almost never. Um, if I can shoot on a 3 or dodge on a 10, 
I'll pro unless unless that model absolutely has to survive, um, I will shoot more often than not. And, the, and what what you'll find is you'll notice my crits more because I crit on a three. Whereas if I dodge on a ten, it's less relevant. So what I find is that like the crits that I roll will feel more impactful because like oh that combi which was rolling a three crit whereas i could have crit on that 10 to dodge but who really gives a shit you know what sure. i mean and so so what you're saying is that what well, you you don't necessarily uh have some sort of dark pact with the uh with the ruinous powers uh it's more that you just play into that you lean into the mechanic yeah to get this what the weight of dice so that when you're rolling all these dice if you're rolling five dice, it's like something like a thirty or forty percent chance you're going to crit. Yeah, with I, th that many I, dice. I, I think with fatality level two, it's like forty-two percent. I think yeah. it's like closer to twenty to twenty-five-ish. But still, it's yeah. and like if you roll four times, eventually like a crit's going to happen. That's you know right. What I mean, um, uh, so yeah, like I've definitely landed into it early on in um, when I was playing. I you know was doing, I wasn't doing that and. I like everyone else was starting to go. Well, why am I taking these these certain units that have like you're paying a lot of points for, um, but they don't have the burst? So for me, if I'm paying, you know, fifty plus points, it has to have high burst. Like sure. I'm, I'm not interested in. That's why I like don't, the Swiss. Don't like, don't like your missile launchers. Like the Swiss guard missile launcher, perfect. Never take it. Sure. Hate it uh, because one dice. I don't care how good it is once it hits. Like one dice, and I, I take Noctifers all the time, right? Because they're a 30 point model with one. So, like, the opportunity cost is there. Um, but even so, I'm not a huge proponent of even Noctifers and stuff like that because one dice is just too hard to sort of like base a strategy on. Mm -hmm. It just feels way too swingy for me. So, for me, it's all about consistency. And the more dice you throw at a problem, um, not even if you even if you ignore the, the crit aspect of it, you just you stabilize those numbers a bit more, you know? Yep. Like, you're more likely to win a face to face just because. You know, you're not going to roll a one and an eighteen or whatever. Yeah, your your sample size is much larger, yeah. so that you will lean towards the true. Yeah, what's what's uh, average or what's expected? Yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the true number. Of so yeah, I um I haven't I haven't uh made any packs, but I did bless a few dice and send them off in some swag bags. So hopefully they um. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 everybody who signed up for Novacore who's got some uh, yeah. some special blessed dice, I don't want to know what you did to them too. Uh, oh, to it was it was like that bathwater from uh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, Bell, Bell Delphine. Or? Bell Delphine. Yeah. Okay, great. So, yeah. so just um, just imagine it's, it's me. Gavin Bateman in the bathtub with a whole bunch of dice floating around. Yeah, great. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question comes from Thaddeus Griffin. Thoughts on Toha? Do you have thoughts on Toha? I, I don't. I love Toha. I really <laughs> do. I'm super sad that they're um they're going away at least in the short term. Yep. Um. But I kind of, I think that they got to this point where they didn't know how to like manage Toha. Because mm -hmm. when Toha were first built, they were built around their triads. They were built around Spitfire or less. They didn't really have really long range weapons. They didn't have HMGs. Um, I mean, they had like the neurocinetic one, but they didn't have like an active HMG. Yeah. And they were built around these very like mid to short range gunfights backed up by the burst. Um, and it was it, they were I thought they were alright they were pretty good but they were also like toned down by the fact they didn't have like this you know a Sukiel HMG or Sukiel missile or, or they didn't have mates the way they did right mm -hmm. um, but because they had um, things like um, McCall's they could get to that position because they had Eclipse so they could position and then use their short range fire, fire, firepower but then somewhere along the lines they sort of like 
just gave them what every other army had, but they were they still had the McCalls. They still had, um, uh, they still had the McCalls. They still had the Simeon armor. They still had the the multiple triads, and then they they gave them mates too, and they just became this like real unwieldy mess that firstly didn't feel like what they were initially, and then they just became like really hard to balance, mm-hmm. and like whether you like saw Toa winning or not, like there was definitely this conception that Toa were just miserable to play against. Sure. Um, so I, mean, I, I think I think the reason that they've kind of like they brought Spiral out was to go this is now Toha this is a bit more like limited and a little bit more it's still got some good stuff but it doesn't have like they don't have to worry about McCall's because they don't exist they, so they don't have to balance against that and, yeah uh, I think that's why Spiral exists because they just went Toha like adding anything to Toha becomes too hard because of what else exists in the way triads work yeah because anything you add the second they added that 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 Sukiel, it changes Toha like because every triad is now potentially better you know yeah. what I mean so yeah I um I wouldn't be yeah I I'd really like to see Toha back because I think they're really cool for the game but I think some parts of them need to go yeah that includes mates like my problem with Toha is that there's so there there is more than any other faction. There's rules that apply to Toha that don't apply to anybody else. Yeah. Um, and when you when 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 that is just one faction, and, and they, they they are a fairly low percentage played faction. Yeah. Right. So that means that when you do come up against Toha, um, first off, the person reads out all these units on their list, and it sounds like you've just had a conversation in French. Yeah. You've got no idea what the hell they're talking about. Um, and then after that, they've sort of start throwing these, even if they're small rules, yeah. these little rules that you just don't have to deal with at any other time. Well, just stuff like, oh, they, they paramedic on flat fizz against things with symbiote armor. You might, you might just like leave something unconscious going, oh, no one's going to bother on an eight. Yeah. But now they are on an 11. You know what I mean? So there's like all those like little niche things that come up and it's, it for sure is like, and I don't necessarily know if they needed to have that. Mm. Uh, I mean, combined doesn't. Combined doesn't have that level of like uh you know uniqueness and they're like an incredibly alien race you know incredibly diverse alien races but you know they've got they don't have those sort of same things playing out but then a lot more people play combined than what play toha so that when you come up against these things with combined that have funny names you already know what they are because you've played a few people against combined but toha doesn't really have that advantage of being a hugely popular faction yeah um but they did kind of fix that a bit with, with Spiral, I think. They brought them more in line with what all the other factions do. Yeah. Um, what we'll see with Toha in the future, who knows? Yeah. Well, I, I hope they're back. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's sad to see any army go. Mm. Yeah. We'll, 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 we'll pull one out for Toha, if it is the case. <laughs> but um, the next question is from Tristan Kemp, who asks, uh, why do you only play sectorials? Is that true? Do you only play sectorials? Yeah, I do. Um... So there are a few reasons. One, I just like link teams. Okay. I, I like the stability. Uh, I also like the fact that I don't have to think a lot. Once I've decided what my link is, uh, a big chunk of the army is decided for me. I enjoy that. I enjoy uh, the defensibility that link teams offer you. Um, but a big part of it is theme. I like having a coherent force that feels like it's mine. Okay. Uh, and I just do not like the all over the shop pick what you want sort of thing and that's not to say that sectorials or vanilla is stronger I, I'm of the personal opinion that like three or four vanilla armies are easily as strong as the best sectorials if not better uh, vanilla Yujing Aleph combined army and Ariadna are all outrageously good like incredibly good to the point where if you think 
sectorial should be nerfed. Like, I just don't understand what game you're playing considering those armies exist and are excellent. Mm-hmm. But for me personally, um, it's a comfort thing to some degree. I understand, like, once I've de- deployed my link team, they're all in the same spot. I understand what they're going to do. Um, but, you know, there are problems that come with playing um, sectorials too. Like, sometimes there's not a good spot for them. Or the big weakness you have in sectorials is you so easily telegraph your intention. Sure. You go, like, if you've got five guys in one spot, there's very few avenues you can take to attack an enemy, uh, which definitely does come up. And, and also, like, when you see a table, you can sort of go, I have to take this side because my link team has to go there or they're fucked. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's definitely not, a, like, a, uh, part of its comfort, part of its theme, but it's not necessarily power because um, plenty of people have kicked my teeth. In fact, I've got a worse record against... Um, vanilla armies than I do sectorials by, by a big margin actually because I find it easier to deal with sectorials yeah. personally. and I guess if you're playing sectorials all the time you know what the strength and weaknesses are which means you yeah. can use that against them well big big part of it is uh, there's a strength in like soft power and in um, the, the threat that may or may not exist if you see a camo marker in vanilla, it means vastly different things than if you play a sectorial. In a sectorial, it's like, it is one thing, probably. Yeah. Whereas if you play vanilla, it could be a million different things. Yeah. Um, which instantly makes it that camo marker better. Mm. Even if, like, you know that guy always takes that, doesn't necessarily be the case. It's like, that Hundun, um, the fact that it has a HRL option, if... I, I've heard a rumor that it may get hidden deployment. I'm not sure if that's true. Posture has said it. Yeah, okay. So say it does... That instantly makes all of Yujing better. Sure. Because whether they have it or not, the fact that like you have to approach a, a game it could be with a hidden template that could just fuck your link team up is is so powerful. So like vanilla has that ability to sort of put doubt, and doubt is a big way to win. And also like not being able to like look at what your opponent's doing and, and understand what their plan is. Whereas if you see me and I've got like four knocks and Sheskin, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna not deploy next to that mm-hmm. and if Sheskin wants to come near me, she has to like take mines, you know, like you just mine lay up and you just hide from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas you don't have that, like if Sheskin untethered in vanilla can just go where she wants, she's not held back. You know, she's almost as killy and she's got like the smoke to get her there. She has, you know, Danarazi and Imatrons and all that other stuff. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I'm probably the opposite. I play vanilla a lot more than I play yep. sectorials. I played sectorials, like I played uh, Imperial Service for a, a good solid year. Yeah. But even then, I wasn't using link teams with them. Yeah. I would, like my link team was generally the Kuang Kuang Shi Shi control battery. device yeah. with a bunch of Kuang Shi yeah. so that I just got a bunch of orders to fuel my Sujan yep. that, that could just sit back and not die. Yeah. Um, and... But I've started playing um, TAC and I'm getting used to using a defensive link team with, yeah. with them, with the, like the sniper rifle yeah. and, and things like that exposed for ROs. But, but even then, I, when I'm using that link team, I do feel, it feels like it's, it's more of an anchor weighing me down yeah. Yeah. Um, than, than anything else. Yeah, there are, there are times where um, link teams are definitely a detriment. Like it's, it's not great having all your pieces in one spot that one template can just... Uh, can punish them and with the changes to shotguns being able to just lay two templates without a face-to-face roll holy shit that's yeah. going to hurt link teams yeah. a lot yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we didn't have that come up in our game but um, I, I'm yeah I don't think I didn't bring any shotguns I'm, I'm active I'm like legitimately curious um, how that change to shotguns is going to hurt links because even just suiciding like uh, units that had shotguns into them is going to be going to hurt I reckon mm. so yeah, because like you get around that, you come around that corner, and your opponent does have to make that choice of 
do I dodge? If I dodge, your shotgun is still face to face. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I actually really like the change to shotguns. Yeah. Uh, I hope that sticks around for N4. Yeah. Uh, I really, really like it. Um, and what I think it's going to do um, is I think you're going to see... Because right now when you see wild cards in links, right, it's like this big dick HMG just swinging around with four plebs, right? I wouldn't be surprised if you see some like heavy heavy uh, infantry with shotguns. Sure. Because rolling up a shotgun, you know, and you hit it's like, okay, so I'm hitting on what, like 22s, right, in a core link. Uh, if you decide to face-to-face it. Yeah. And if you don't, you can put three templates down because of link bonuses, right? And you take, like, because of your armor and stuff like that, you, you have a chance of, like, dropping three templates on people and still surviving. I think it's, mm. I think it's a really interesting change. I hope it, I hope it stays. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if it's better, but I think it's, it's definitely but even, interesting. even if your opponents spread out their link team quite a yeah, bit, you've you got them. those three te- templates, which you can point in different directions. Yeah. So you're still hitting loads of stuff if you're riding close to yeah. them. Um, like, I think dropping drop troops in who've got a shotgun is, yeah. is going to yeah. do that sort of thing yeah, as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, Particularly like the ones that are um, like, you know, have a mod, something like a Tiger Soldier that's got armor three. Mm-hmm. You know, mimetism means that like it's not even that guaranteed it's going to take the hit. So, no, definitely. Um, we've got a. This is more of a comment than a question from <laughs> Rob Cantrell. Uh, whoever called Gavin White Noise's most long-winded host is a goddamn liar. <laughs> Nothing further. Well, you've seen what happens when you get both of us on the same podcast. They, yeah. go, f- they go for 15 hours and, and ben, ben tells us that we can't do any more podcasts for the month because we, we don't shut the fuck up. Because we've run out, run out of, of, of publishing minutes. Yeah, yeah. Which um, we don't have a problem with that over, yeah. at, over here at Lost Lieutenant, so yeah. we can go for as long as we want today. Yeah. <laughs> you've got that padding with Julian. You need an extra 10%. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, yeah, yeah, sometimes. But um, it's good. I mean, like, personally, when I listen to podcasts, I don't care how long it goes for. I, I listen to it when I drive to work. So, like, the more content, the better. Like, mm. even having Julian, like, rant and rave, outside of, like, him talking about his bowel movements, please, <laughs> please stop talking about your bowel movements, Julian. Outside of that, I'm more than happy, like, to hear it, you know? Yeah. And then, like, some of it I'll agree with, some of it I don't, but who gives a shit? It's just content, you exactly. know? Exactly, yeah. So, um... I don't know, like, we've never had anybody... I mean, our episodes aren't that long, really. We've never had anybody complain about an episode being too long or too short or anything like that. But, yeah, when I listen to podcasts, I'll do it to and from work. It takes me 30 minutes each way. So that's an hour. If it takes me three days to listen to a podcast, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, So It's better than listening at, like, the silence and... My own, my own thoughts. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. Who, I mean, being trapped in my own thoughts. Yeah, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, cool. So we'll move on then. Another question from Kevin Hamilton. Uh, given the changes to hacking seen in Code 1, what are your hopes slash expectations for N4? Do you see killer hackers being turned down? Uh, that's a big question. Um, I really. So firstly, I really, really like the change of Spotlight. Um for years, I've been saying that's how it should work. So, as an ARO... Yeah, and the lack of a Neg3. Um, no, a Neg3 mod on your yes, role. Yeah. yeah, both those things are excellent. The fact that it doesn't just expire, meaning that there's a legitimate reason to even try to do it now. Yep. Whereas before, it was outside of the fucking classified. Why would you do it, honestly? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, love that. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's yet to be seen how significant it is. It may actually be really, really powerful. Uh, it's hard to tell, but like if every time someone walks through a, a repeater, they're being just like, okay, I'll just spotlight, spotlight you on top of that. It could be very powerful. It's hard to tell how strong it's going to be, but I do like it. Um, and But we'll sort of see like this, the strength of it. Um, I think Killer Hackers kind of 
have to be turned toned down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm of the opinion that killer hackers kind of are like that apex predator that was brought into an island environment uh, and killed the diversity of the wildlife. Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely understand what you mean. So you used to have, you know, your assault hackers who would deal with tags and your regular hackers that would buff stuff and sort of do some, you know, versatile things. And then killer hackers came around and it was like, okay, I'm never bothering putting out a repeater nets because why should I bother putting my repeater net out for you to jockey off it and kill me? Yeah. Um, so I think that like killer hackers have punished people that bothered to spend their own orders putting out repeaters. Mm-hmm. I think that um, killer hackers just do way like the damage output is just way too high for for the cost that they are i'm of the opinion that at a minimum um killer hackers probably shouldn't be able to jockey on enemy repeaters for free i think that by itself might be enough of a tone down they may need like a small damage reduction on top of that because right now uh you never see assault hackers unless they're in a marker state sure uh the only assault hacker i would bother taking is one that was in a marker state which means I can assault hack when I want mm-hmm. and then I hide again yep. because otherwise a killer hacker will just absolutely rip through you. And I think with the changes to armor saves, uh, to crits, meaning that like armor is so valuable, I think that assault hackers have to have a place in dealing with tags. That will be your remedy for, ca- for tags. Yeah, yeah, because right now, um, dealing with tags... So we're playing a ho- we played a hodgepodge today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and once you know, my heavy weapons went down, I was just like desperate for any way to like slow down your tag. And I was using a regular hacker that I had left. And that's not a very good response, but it was the best thing I had to have any chance of slowing you down. So I think that like, um, you can even make the programs like, I I like possession. I like that it exists in the game. I like it because I got to use it today and that was a lot of fun for me. Um, But if they wanted to get rid of that but make make it more effective at like slowing down and obstructing a tag, then fine. If like that's what has to be sacrificed. I also also have to say thank you for possessing my tag and not climbing up the building and jumping off to kill it. I mean, to be fair, I still spent one order and killed a tag. Yeah. yeah. It was just a different one. Sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah. But... uh, yeah, uh, while, while we're on the subject of jumping up, what do you think of that? Do you have an issue with people, ju- not just tags, but like jumping up to heal things? Do you have an issue with that? I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. If you, because like, you, when you fail your that armor save, yep. if the current falling damage You can just kill it. When you, yeah, when yeah. you fail that armor save, you roll again. Yeah. So there's nothing, you've got just as much chance of failing one armor save as you do with failing two of them and dying. Yep. So... Uh, I have no issues with that. Um, I've done. It, I've not done that jump thing before. Yep. I've when I was playing Imperial Service, I've done it where you voluntarily make a Quang Shi go unconscious yep. because Which is that's pretty much a similar thing. One thing right? that they can, yep. something they can do, and then just heal it straight away for you classified. Yeah. Um, I don't think I don't. I personally don't have an issue. So, with that. so my my thing is, um, if the classifieds are going to exist the way they do, which includes getting a classified for healing something or engineering something, then it's totally okay for you to jump something up to heal it. And the reason for that is, I've had games where someone uh, saw the classifieds and went, oh, I'm just not going to shoot your remote mm. uh, so that you can't get the classified. And to me, how is that any more... Like, because people like use real- realism as a reason that you shouldn't jump things. Yeah. How is it any more realistic that I just won't shoot that so you can't heal it? How is that more realistic than me jumping it to like get test run? You know yeah. what I mean? So for me, it's like, if people are like, either both are okay or neither's okay, and you can't police a rule that says you have to shoot my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, 
Um, the, the the easiest fix is to get rid of those classifieds because then no one needs to do it. Yeah. There's no reason to jump something up to ki- to heal it. Because I think you've got you've got like opinions on um, classifieds and they shouldn't. You shouldn't have a classified for something that you would just normally do in well, a, in, I, a, in a game. I, I, I don't. I, I I kind of agree with that. Like I'm not like sort of. I'm not going to die on that that hill. Yeah. Like I think in general, if like if you have a classified that's heal something, mm-hmm. and you're playing, uh, Aleph, you're just going to do it because you're healing on 15s and you're definitely going to heal it anyway because of all the between you know the no the um you've got no wounding cap or you've got like extra levels of unconscious or remotes and that right. So you're 100% going to take it. And like, they, they should be choices. You know, yep. like good good game design gives you choices of going, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? But like, if you pull engineering, you're almost always going to do it because you're probably going to use it at some point and you are going to heal something anyway. So it's like an extra benefit. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that necessarily, but I think um, people will jump things up to get that classified. But that only exists because that classified exists. Sure. There would be no other reason to do it and you wouldn't lose your immersion if yep. that classified didn't exist. So the easiest way is to remove the, those healing classifieds. And then you you can't be, you can't really make a rule that says you can't jump and then you can't heal. Like, it's just too confusing to do it that way. Yeah. But I mean, the, the way they... If one thing we've seen from Code 1 is there's no such thing as fall damage yeah. if you can't successfully complete a jump yeah. you just idle instead you yeah. don't do the jump yeah so and the question is do you want that to exist in the game where because I've seen games where someone's gone fuck my only option is to jump from here jump down there and I'm gonna risk like, the damage you know and like those 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 moments are cool right like yeah. do you like if you want to sacrifice that fine like that's that's a choice that the game designers will make I'm not sure that you need to sacrifice that um for the game you know what I mean like I don't think you're gaining much from doing that but I do agree that like there is no sort of like good answer when it comes to that falling damage thing you'll have people that go like I've had games where I have just actively not done it because I knew my opponent just didn't like it and to keep the peace and to keep the game going I've gone you know what like it's not worth you know making someone else feel shitty or uncomfortable but if I played Rob Cantrell I'm jumping them them sons bitches every time because (laughs) he would do it too and he knows you know like because we're both playing the same game you know what I mean sure uh, and part of Infinity is that sort of like soft uh, like that ability to sort of like understand where your opponent's coming from and sort of meet in the middle mm-hmm. so yeah do you have any uh, major takeaways uh, that you've learnt from your losses Although oh there are there are few there are very very few of them yeah um, um, over, over the years this question comes from oh, so uh, I, from I, 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 I lose a fair bit but it's always in practice games sure uh, well mostly in practice games a lot of that comes down to it's like oh I'll, I'll play the more risky plays in practice games and the idea being to sort of like either prove or disprove like like a theory in my head like oh this will work a certain way or, or not um, so so firstly I do lose a ton um, and I, lo- I learn a lot more from my losses than I do my wins. Um, I can't think of specific things that I've learned, uh, but the big one is sort of like uh, patience. I find that if you've got... So supplies is a good example, right? And you've got three things across the middle. I've seen a lot of people pick up all three boxes and run it back. And that mm-hmm. can sometimes be a really good strategy, depending on like a lot going on. But I find that people are like too eager... To, to do things but then leave themselves exposed if I have a ch- chance of like getting a point but like leaving myself horrendously exposed or sort of just waiting and there's still turns in the game the chances are I'll sort of like pull back 
the big the big thing is like learning to pull back and come at it again the next turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, specific things, I don't know. Not like I'm sure there is. Uh, what I will say is that when I do have a like a loss, particularly like a, like a big bad loss in an event, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time thinking about it mm-hmm. and trying to like think about what I could do differently. A good example is not this year, the year before. I, I played uh, Rob Cantrell, I think round three, and I just came off a game. Cancun. Cancun. And uh, I just came off a, a really intense game with Jordan Lloyd, who's an excellent player. And I didn't, firstly, I didn't give Rob the respect that he deserved. Because back then, like, we knew Rob, but we didn't know how good a player he was. This was just before he became, like, Rob Cantrell. Okay. Know, the, the Rob, Rob Cantrell, Cantrell, you know what I mean? Uh, so I did. I definitely didn't respect him enough as an opponent, and because I remember like finishing my game with Jordan, and it was like one of the hardest fucking games I've ever played. And it was just after I'd gone on that really good run with OSS, and I'm thinking, you know, starting to sniff my own farts, thinking I'm shit hot. And I remember thinking to myself, well, that was the hardest game I'll play this weekend against mm-hmm. Jordan. Sure. Like Pat must like off like it's just smooth sailing right now, yeah. which is firstly the wrong fucking attitude to have because it's completely like unfair to your other opponents, right? Uh and secondly, it, it was the perfect game I needed to, like, humble me. Yep. Um, but a game, I played him, and I had about three dice rolls that go, went really poorly. It was stuff like, I was shooting five dice on 16s versus his two on 12s, and I got crit, like, two, like, crit, healed, crit, Ooh. that sort of thing. Yeah. And some people say, I lost because I got crit. This is why I don't like when people blame crits. Those crits fucking sucked and they shouldn't have happened and they shouldn't have happened consecutively. That's all true, right? But I didn't lose because of that. I lost because I lost sight of the game because that had happened. Sure. So I'll give you a few things I could have done on the way in that could have fixed that. I walked my engineer past an unconscious total reaction bot to heal the guy that had got crit because I'd been a, I was obviously a bit like shook from it. Yeah. So I could have healed that on the way. First mistake. Second mistake. I spent too long getting there, which meant that everything was out of position against an army that has Nimbus Plus and McCall's. Mm-hmm. Second mistake. Third mistake, and the most important mistake, is all this time that I was fucking around doing this, I had white noise with, with a pitcher in range that I could have shot a pitcher and shot his Galral that was hitting me on 12s. So he would have been on 6s instead. Like, and if you blame crits, you never look at all that. And I can tell you, the rest of the event, I didn't forget about white noise. Sure. And it came up. Yep. So, so yeah, it's really important that, like, you can acknowledge that dice suck. I mean, this game, I had six dice, normal rolls fail on 13s, which sucks, right? But that doesn't mean anything on its own. Mm-hmm. So, that's why I think it's a, it's a trap to sort of blame dice. Yeah. No, that's a good one. Um, Maz Marriott asks uh, how do you maintain how do you maintain such a high level of play painting expertise and being a good bloke (laughs) is it too much power for one man it it is it is too much power and it's kind of uh, unfounded my painting is 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 alright but there's definitely way better painters out there Um, so my whole thing is this is my hobby I don't I don't really outside of so COVID's hit so now I've actually played computer games before COVID hit I, don't, I can't remember the last time I played my PlayStation. Um, I work, I go to the gym, I have a family. This is my only hobby. So for me, this is um, the one thing I'm like really passionate about and that like I spend a lot of time, probably too much. Plus, I'm a shift worker. Uh, and being a shift worker means that like 
in the middle of the night there's not much else to do on shift um you know your mind wanders and you can start thinking of lists and mm-hmm. and, and and spending time uh, on that so um for me it's it's got a lot to do with the fact that like i've got that sort of personality where i have like one thing that i sort of like am into um so i spend a lot of time thinking about it. and uh, a big part of like being good is playing good players and losing Hmm. Um, you have to play good players and, and also what's really awesome is and I've seen it um, since everyone started going to tournaments in other places everyone's getting good yeah I'm not joking when I say that like I remember a couple of years ago you'd have like maybe one strong player in a meta and, and like everyone else that sort of like backed them up I guess and what you'll find is as events have become more diverse everyone's playing the game kind of the same way now anyway um, there's less like faction, like regional differences, mm-hmm. and people are better because they're seeing so much more. Yeah. Um, so we we sort of tr- transitioned from a uh, region specific meta to more of a national meta. Yeah, I think that I think that's the case. Like I played all over the country, and I've seen that like other people are traveling as well, and I personally have definitely gotten better playing different people and seeing what different people do and it's it's different tables as well because like the tables that you play on at your local club it's generally the same three or four tables you might be playing on whereas you go somewhere else and they do their tables completely differently yeah and so you you kind of adapt to that yeah you do and and what you'll find um, is that like everyone's kind of like a lot of the shorthand is is just implied now whereas before uh, I can't really explain it but there'd be stuff where you'd have to like very clearly explain what you were doing because you guys had like understood a rule because you'd been burnt by it mm. so once you burnt other people with it you had to explain it whereas everyone's like yes I understand how change face arrows work just fucking do your thing you yeah, know what I mean yeah, yeah. and not that, that that's a good thing like people should not understand that because it shouldn't fucking exist but whilst it does um, the fact that like everyone's playing the same game means that games are like quicker and you mm-hmm. can focus more on the game as opposed to like those little weird things yeah cool yeah. Um, Russell McGifford asks there seems to be a hump between consistent wins and consistent majors. What do you think it takes to get from a good percentage of minor wins to getting consistent major wins? Okay, so this one I actually have a really good answer for because I can remember when it changed for me. I used to play one list. I would take one list to a tournament. Um, And what it meant was I won way more than I lost. And I was very comfortable with my list. But what it meant was there were times where majors eluded me because I just didn't have the right tools for the job. Uh, it meant that like, you know, like once you know a basic list, you can kill what you need to and just win, but you're not necessarily going to um, major. Uh, in the last 12, 18 months, a lot of like effort has gone into taking second lists and, and writing lists specifically for events. Uh, HeroCon, I took Shock Army very specifically because I looked at what I had available and I thought that they were the army that not could just do any individual mission well, but could, between two lists, do five missions well. And those missions were all, like, pretty screwy. You know, yeah. like, we had... Uh, so, 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 what you're saying is that when you look at the missions that, are, that you have to play, not only are you writing your list, but looking at those missions, you're deciding what faction you're going to take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'll, I'll, look, at, I'll look at a list and go... Um, so, looting and sabotaging, I think, was in it. Yes, yes, no, yeah, that's what, yeah, that was in it. And that was the one where I was on the fence about taking Shock Army for. And normally, what I would do is be like, I'll just get D charges and just try and do it, right? Mm-hmm. But what I did is I took the Montessa, which I don't like. I think the Montessa is not a good unit. But I took it because I went, 
if I'm going to get the points, I need this unit because otherwise it's going to be a nightmare. You know, trying to run up and decharge this thing to death is going to be a fucking nightmare. This year uh, at CanCon, I took a Sphinx and I'm not a very comfortable tag player at all. And it's not that tags are bad, it's just I'm not at eggs in one basket. I spread my threats around. Um, so tags just make me actively uncomfortable playing okay. them. Uh, well, outside of very few, like the tick one's one of the few tags that I'm comfortable playing. But I took the Sphinx um, because there was a uh, shell force shell force was in the oh, lineup sure. yep and I took it specifically because that mission existed and I was like if I want to win this event I can't just go I'll get seven and then get and try and get the tens uh, because if someone else does that then you won't win you know what I mean so I took it I took a unit that I wasn't super comfortable with and this is how uncomfortable I was with it because I'm just not used to using tags, I didn't use it till turn three, and I literally used it to walk up, kill one ARO piece, and stand on the point, because I'm just not good with tags. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. So, like, I mean, moving from, from, from minors to majors, you, you'd say, like, not only are you looking at list structure, but also what you're actually bringing to the event, yeah. and it does really yeah, depend so, on the missions of the day. So, for me, the big difference, uh, the difference between, win like, winning consistently is knowing your army simple as that like if you know your army well and know the rules and, and you practice it you'll be fine winning events is turning the minors to majors mm -hmm. and, and part of that is like like on the day um, like uh, taking those extra points when they're on offer uh, like maximizing where you can so like oh I've got a classifier that can get two and I'll probably not get this other point because you know it's really hard to get so I'll take this classified knowing that I'll still get to my 10, stuff like that. Right? Sure. That's on the day. But like what you can do before the day is like really look at your two lists and say, how do these two lists achieve the however many missions? And sometimes there'll be like a mission lineup where it's like, this one can do everything. And I'll take a second list for, for, for tables. Just in case. Yeah. Or, or, or like to throw a spanner in the works or, or, or just because I want to take this certain unit. But sometimes you'll be like, this lineup require like there'll be like two missions that you need like specialists but not only do you need specialists but you need like really diverse ones mm -hmm. so i'm going to be looking at armies that have like really good diverse specialists stuff like shock army for instance yeah uh and just as an aside if like if there was a tournament and i didn't know what any of the missions were going into it i would play shock army because i consider them probably one of the most versatile sectorials out there there you go hot take hot take um <laughs> play it while you can <laughs> <laughs> but um so yeah like i'll look at them and i'll go I've got three armies that can do these five missions. Which ones are the ones I'm going to struggle with most? And also, one of the other things I'll do is the position of the uh, missions in the tournament. So, for instance, I'll pay okay. I'll pay less weight to missions one through three than I will four and five. Because at four and five, you're playing the other people who have won. All if all yeah, like the idea yeah. being like if I if I'm doing well, I want my list as tuned as possible for other top players. So I want the list to work as well as possible in missions four and five. Mm -hmm. uh, mission one, you might RNG and, and get someone that's just, um, just, just new or just not suited to that mission or whatever. Uh, and, and, there is, and you can even play an excellent player, but like their, mission, their um, list could be bad on that table mm -hmm. and yours could be good. There's so much like randomness that you can't predict everything. But yep. generally what I'll do is um, if there's a mission that I sort of have to sacrifice on my list build, it'll be like er, like as early as possible. Sure. Does that sort of play into your not 
because I know you don't really accept grudge matches. Yeah. So would you say that has an, a factor there that you'd rather be playing a random person in the first round? So I um, I, I don't mind playing grudges, but it's also like when you've been winning a little while, it becomes sort of like uncomfortable to to take a grudge. Because it's either you're getting heat for playing someone, and they're going, "Oh, you're just doing it to step on people," mm. or, or you're having to play another player that you're probably gonna have to play later anyway. Uh, but the, the main reason I, I'm not a huge fan of grudges anyway is there's so many awesome people that I haven't played, so I want to play as many as possible. And some of my best games are people I didn't even know and like had a genuinely great time with. So um, that's the main reason that I don't I don't play grudges. Like, like I try and avoid them where possible. Um, but like I still will take grudges from time to time but generally I prefer just to like let the dice fall where they are and like part of it is also I don't want to get in my own head thinking about an opponent Mm -hmm. Um, because what I might do is focus too much on what they're doing and not what the other four opponents I'll be playing are doing sure Um, you know like if you tailor a list for Julian playing an avatar right and you are playing him first and you kick his teeth in for example not that that's likely because he's a pretty good player but like you do that and you've got this tailored list for an avatar and you've you know, focused so much on it. You've still got four other games and it was yeah. game one, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Every other game is probably going to ramp up after your game one. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Johnson asks, is there a faction you refuse to ever play? If so, why? Um, no, I've played everything. So I've played at least, not every vanilla faction, but I've played at least a sectorial from every faction. I haven't played... Fuck, there's not much I haven't played. I haven't played French. And I haven't played Farm Company. And I haven't played Druze. I think that's all I... Oh, and Tunguska. I haven't played them. They're the only ones I haven't played. Yeah. And um, there's no, like, uh, definitive, I won't play this for any sort of, like, philosophical reasons. It comes down to, do I think the army's good or not? Or does it fit with what I'm doing? At the moment... by that standard, you'll never play Druze. Yeah, I don't like Drews. I think they're bad. I think not only are they bad, but they're boring. Uh, I just don't think anything they do is particularly interesting. Um, so I won't play Drews unless like they change. Um, Tunguska's an army that like just... I love the aesthetic. The aesthetic is like probably the coolest thing in Infinity. That real sleek Tron look to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Securitat, uh, one of the coolest looking line infantry they've got around. In fact, like the designers put so much care into them that are, like for me personally, I find their army a little bit boring bland like it just it's just not interesting to me um i think there's kind of like structural problems with how i play remember like when i play i play a group of 10 and a group of five okay a group of five or more but generally five to six is where i sort of feel most comfortable i feel if i go to 20 i kind of sacrifice any sort of hitting power just for orders and you have that game that we had today where i had plenty of orders left and i was going ah I don't know what I'm going to do with them. Yep. You know what I mean? So there is a point where um, like, I don't go to that super high orders generally. There are some times, but very rarely do I do that. But I also don't like playing the game less than 15. I find that like it's... I don't like playing limited insertion personally. And that, that 11 to 14 is this awkward spot where you still get your command token stripped, your order stripped. Mm. Your stuff isn't as resilient as in limited insertion. And it just kind of like you have this group that kind of does not much of anything. Yeah. Like that 1 to 14, just 11 to 14 is this awkward spot where it's like, well, why does this exist? You know? So for personal reasons, like I just don't like that. And I think that Tunguska is, that's kind of where it kind of wants to sit. Yeah. I think like most Tunguska lists I see are like 
13, 14 orders. Mm. Um, and it's just not enough for me to like really be happy with the list. Mm. So, yeah. But the Securitate have ties on. They look oh. horrible. Oh, yeah. They're going <laughs> to they're gonna be my moderators. Oh, cool. <laughs> or adversaries. Um, all right. Well, uh, Rob Cantrell has been kind enough to kind enough to offer us a lightning round. Oh. So we got a whole bunch of uh, quick fire questions here. Oh, here we go. He says, uh, "Give it to us straight. Killer hacking devices, overpowered." Yes. <laughs> With one uh, word answers, yes. Submachine guns, overpowered. No. Uh, links, overpowered. No. Emily Handelman, overpowered. No. Jammers, overpowered. No. Libertos, overpowered. Yes. Uh, Link through she overpowered. No. Uh, whatever wine and gym forum played against uh, played against last and couldn't think his way out of overpowered. Yes, <laughs> that person was validated. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the concept of profile power in isolation as the sole determining factor of victory, rather than the challenging nuances of synergy, player skill, scenario, luck, and risk management. Overpowered. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's a good point. Can you repeat that slower for okay. people? The concept of power in isolation as the sole determining factor of victory rather than uh, challenging nuances of synergy, player skill, scenario, luck, and risk management. So anytime someone wants to complain about something, just like repeat that three times before you decide if something's an issue. <laughs> Seriously, guys, because like, for instance, people like... Ghazis, right? Ghazis have been a whipping boy for a long time, right? Ghazis, if they existed in Pano, would be disgusting. They And there's a reason they don't exist in Pano, because they shouldn't. But in Hakaslam, where like, it, almost everything's BS11 or 12, having a Ghazi as a defensive piece is much more reasonable. Like, the context means so much in this game, that like, looking at one thing and going, it's bullshit, um, is just setting yourself up for, for disappointment. And that's why like, you see so often people go, don't like compare cross faction you can to like some degree to get some sort of like rough idea but like that's as far as you can go so so yeah it's a good point Rob yeah mm. very uh very good it's view. almost as if he's a good player who's played enough to uh look at these things oh oh that's a hot that's a hot take if I've ever heard one <laughs> Rob Cantrell good player yeah um is well, it a hot take that's <laughs> <laughs> <So> pretty <laughs> That is, I, the, I, that is the least look, zesty take I, I think I've ever heard. I don't know what that term means anymore. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, you have successfully passed the lightning round. Yeah. You should call it the gauntlet and get sued by a ooh, white, white ooh, Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, it was not the gauntlet. That was, that was the, um, the, the, the silk glove round. <laughs> the silk glove. Um, righto. Lachlan Ingram asks, uh, how important do you think good memory is as part of consistent wins against quality opponents, i.e. remembering all the ins and outs of opposing factions to be able to assess what camo tokens might be, uh, what might be off the board, what's likely the lieutenant, etc., in order to make good decisions in-game. It's, it's probably... Do you, do you have a good memory, Gav? Well, it's weird, right? Because I, I don't think I do have a good memory, but I've done this enough that it's, it is now memory, but it's like that sort of... If my wife tells me to do something, I'll instantly fucking forget. Uh, and I have to, like, do a lot of, like, writing stuff down. But, yeah. But, I w like, repetition, I guess, is the same as memory, right? Um, you do these things enough and you sort of understand stuff. And one, one thing that I do is I'll sort of... Um, I'll draw, like, comparisons. So, for instance, if you've got a TO skirmisher, I'll be like, oh, okay, it's, like, a different one. You know, for instance, if you've got 
a clip sauce, mm-hmm. I'll be like, okay, so it's sort of like a crock man. Sure. It's not exactly the same, and it doesn't give you everything. But it's close but what, enough. But I generally sort of like... You can categorize I, these I, I block things into, like, this does this. Oh, it's a skirt. Like, if you've got something up forward, and it's got a camera, okay, it's a skirt machine. That's fine. And then I, I got a rough idea what it's going to be. There's obviously always um, uh, curveballs. Like, in our game, you had a camo marker... And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's a skirmisher. I know what roughly that's going to do. That, you and, said that's going to be a Guilang. Yeah, because I know like they exist, right? And then you're like, it could be a Daofa. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Because it, it, like you are going to like, you know, miss some things. But like getting some rough ideas and shorthanding is how I sort of like... You get were through. right, though. It was a Guilang. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but the fact that it could have been a Daofa sort of threw me through a loop a little bit. And I had to end up... I think I ended up pulling something up. And I didn't want to to deal with it. Mm. Um... But yeah, that's what I do is I sort of like shorthand stuff to get a rough idea. The good thing about Infinity and the, the real strength of it is a combi rifle is a combi rifle. There's no blade of Morgosh and the fucking Bane Chan of yeah. Umanatra or Two whatever, things. you know what I mean? This one gives you plus one attack. This one gives you plus one attack. Yeah. They've got completely different names you know? but they do the exact same thing. You know, like you Everyone's play other games where like every weapon is different, right? Yeah. Or like every faction does has different guns even though they're functionally almost the same. Combi is a combi. Red Rum is Red Rum. Uh, martial Arts Level 2 does Martial Arts Level 2 things, you know what I mean? So, like, people, like... The the, the the curve for Infinity is obviously quite steep, but once you've got up there, you know it, you know? And that's one thing I'm actually concerned about with these new rules, uh, because the granularity it can create. Like, just to get a little bit off tangent, like, right now, TO is TO. You know everything about it. I say this model has TO, you know it has stealth, you know it has surprise attack, you know it has surprise shot, you know it's got negative six, you know everything about it, right? The risk I see with them moving forward to this really, really like granular uh, level is you'll be like this one. this this one to model. Uh, sorry, this sorry this one camouflage model is mimetism minus six surprise attack minus five potentially. Like there's nothing stopping them having that level of granularity now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd be like, what's this one like? And you, having to understand what also what it doesn't mean like you lose a bit of shell game if they do that sort of stuff. Um, but I think you kind of, like, that level of granularity means that you can't just pile everything in. So I actually don't think that what they've done is simplify the rules, actually, by by expanding all these things out. I think what they, like, there were some things that they should have done, you know? Like, maybe, like, stealth mm-hmm. in, in, in martial arts. Separate them, that's fine. Um, but, like, camo as a whole skill, being, you know, TO, negative, all that sort of shit... Um, it, I think it has the potential, depending on how they design things, like if they start working in negative mods of one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, that affects people. Please don't. Like, have your negative three, have your negative six, keep them essentially the same thing. Um, but the potential there is like having to like there'll be a unit that has camo, it has negative six, but doesn't have any surprise attack. Like that is a potential now. And what you're going to find is that because what we do is we block skills together and go that's that you'll have like mistakes or you'll have like confusion where you're like oh it is it's almost the same as this but it's not exactly yeah and I actually think what you're doing is instead of like front loading it and having to learn all of TO you're just now where the, the pressure is is learning specific units like before you're like TO TO now you're like oh this specific unit isn't the same as the other one yeah so I I, I mean we'll, we'll it, it, it all depends on how granular they decide to design things. I was a bit worried because I heard somewhere someone saying like like them saying that the positive is the level of granularity it allows. 
but for me that's the concern is when they start fucking around with like negative threes and f- not threes like twos ones fives yeah all those other numbers outside three and six yeah instead of whereas up until now all modifiers have been multipliers of three yeah and once you know a rule you know it yeah it is a bit of work for sure but once you know it that's it and that's what makes I think infinity for me was actually so good is yes it was steep but once you got there it was all the same you yeah know? oh your combi is the same as mine yep so no okay fair enough uh, Lachlan Summer asks uh, what would you say is the most important factor in consistent success in infinity is it great list building solid tactics a strong plan more practice superior rules knowledge playing the mission error free play risk mitigation knowing that this is a fucking long question knowing the odds surprising your opponent superior memes something else so do all that and you'll do okay yeah um <laughs> honestly infinity is so complex but like the big ones are playing the mission you can kill everything and still lose a mission so playing the mission is obviously the big one and, and for me personally i didn't even realize i did it but um and one of my friends said i was an idiot once um once he told me um because i didn't realize he said defensive uh like i'm quite a defensive player i spend a lot of time once i've done something i'll spend two to three to four orders figuring out how i want my turn to end sure um you might have seen it in that game where i was like oh i've got two orders in each group and that's when i started to like really think about what i was doing with those orders because how i finish the turn is really important to me Mm -hmm. because once your turn's up there's not a lot more you can say it's like well um, so so often in a game particularly because I play link teams I think you have to do this I'll spend one to two orders repositioning a link in a way that I'm happy um, with what like looking at what my opponent's got going oh he probably can't get to me in this amount of orders if I'm here or if he can I'm in a good position to defend against that so for me um, there's so much that goes into playing consistently but playing the mission and also like um, getting comfortable like defensive play and like pulling back because so many people particularly like People who complain about tags are the ones that like ram it down your throat and then just leave, leave it, there it there and be like upset that it got like killed. I was about to do that in our game. You told me not to. Yeah. So. Yeah, like that was a real <laughs> close game. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, the next question we've got here is about crits again, but I think we've already kind of pretty much covered that off when we talked about crits. I don't think there's anything really new to be saw. Um, we've got a question here from Jordan Lloyd who says, uh, what's Gav's favourite Infinity podcast? It's a very important question now, Gav. Oof. Oof. Jeez, um, I, don't, I don't think I can answer that one honestly without getting <laughs> in trouble somewhere. Uh, honestly, I, the, I like them all for different reasons. I like the discursive shit posting that is Lost Lieutenant. Um, I like that conversational tone, but I also like... Uh, the diversity uh, of of like ideas you get in white noise because there's so many different people playing. Uh, I like Maya Casa being a staple that's been around forever. Um, honestly, they're they're all great, um, and the more the the more the merrier. Yeah. So I, I'm gonna sit uh, firmly on that fence, man. Yeah, great. Yeah. Which I, I'm totally fine with because yeah, like you look at these different podcasts that are out there. We got the Lost Lieutenant here and White Noise and probably and Maya Cast like. If you were to mention your the main Infinity podcast, I'd say those are your main ones. I yeah. can't like. There's a few others that are sort of come and gone. Yeah. That, oh, actually, that, my favorite podcast is Metachemistry. Metachemistry. Uh, it doesn't exist. It had like five episodes, and that was a bit like I can attribute that podcast to like getting better. Okay. Um, Dexter Schiller and Nathan Berg, I think, did it, and it was really excellent. It was really really good, but they only did like five episodes, and that was in the space of like two years. <laughs> so. 
Um, now that that was a really good one. Yeah, but all the these main podcasts that you'll find do sort of take things from a different angle. Yeah. So you can you can definitely listen to them all. Yeah. And I would encourage you to do so. Chocolate or vanilla? They're both delicious. They are. They are. Um, uh, what's the next question here? Matthew Sprouts asks, uh, "What do you see as the main styles of play in Infinity? They seem to be hard total, leaving nothing out on one side, and the other side hard ARO. Somewhere in the middle is a sprinkling of mines and softer arrows. What? Uh, what's your preferred style of play? I guess you've talked quite a bit about your defensive. Yeah, so I, I, I'm definitely these days a softer arrow player." I think when wild cards came in, they kind of, in my opinion, outside of like the exceptional ones, like the Kamau, I think they kind of killed hard AROs for me. Um, the thing is, when you can load in one really elite gun with, with cheap troops, the offensive capability is just so strong that like anything it's, it chooses to engage in, it's probably gonna, it should kill. So for me, uh, contesting it with a hard ARO is kind of not worth it anymore, mm-hmm. personally. Um, there's obviously exceptions. There are armies that can do it. Uh, but for me, my whole my whole shtick is um, I want to sap orders with my arrows, and I do that by being in awkward spots, uh, being in spots that are hard to get to, having mines, having flash pulse arrows. Those that's, soft- some, that's something that I noticed in one of our in, in our game just yeah. now when you used one guy to pick up a box and then you used a bunch of orders for him to climb up some steps and then go prone and drop a mine. Yep. So I'm like, with the things that I had, my just attack went, vectors, what? I'm looking at it and think, I can't get to that guy. Yeah. Like even, I, I brought a two tag list. Yeah. For me, I can't get up, I can't even fucking climb up onto that building because I won't fit. Yeah. So yeah, so that's part of it, right? Like, is like looking at what's on the board. What I I don't just do the same thing either. Like, for instance, in the, in, the, in our game, I pushed out a uh, fast panda, which I I don't I can't remember the last time I did because in this game it made sense to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So like, it's not like a hard and fast thing, but my whole thing is putting out like little junky AROs that you have to deal with because if you don't, um, they will slow you down. Like for instance, like flash pulse bots to me are the perfect ARO because they're fairly cheap. Um, and if they hit, they protect me for that turn because that thing can no longer kill me. So for me, um, flash pulse arrows are like obviously excellent, but it's like my goal in ARO isn't to kill my opponent, and I don't think it should be because I think that's you set yourself up for a bad time. Mm-hmm. My goal is to just sap orders to keep whatever I have to alive. So for in this game, I had to keep you know, specialists alive. So if I keep enough trash out, my specialists can survive. And neither of my specialists um, that were holding boxes died, but one of those was pretty lucky to be honest. Um, now this next question is about crits, but it gives it a bit of a different angle. So I'm going to include. Okay, here we go. Here we've got a, a question here from Zach Hancock, who says, "How is Critler going to win games with the new crit rule? Uh, with the possibility of your opponent saving all their armor rolls, uh, with the change, will you ever be on top table again?" So I guess the main theme there is like, <sighs> like you sort of spoke about before, um, putting aside the dig about you never being on top table again. Um, <laughs> you do like to lean into the weight of dice to get yes. those guaranteed wounds. Yes. What are you going to... Ch- are you going to change the way you play to mitigate the increase uh, emphasis on armor? So the last three games I've played with these rules, I've played them intentionally with the same list I played, with the idea being... To see what Let's happens. see what's still good, what's not good. 
Uh, and like I said, we're, we're playing some hodgepodge. So who, who actually knows what's, what's going to be what? Uh, your mileage may vary. But what I found is that um, I, I put a lot of emphasis on winning the face-to-face role. Uh, because the idea you win the face-to-face role then you know the wounds will come eventually particularly like even if they don't come through saves they'll come through they'll come through one way or the other yep. the way through crits is gone now so the only way through is failing saves mm-hmm. so what I've found is that some pieces that I didn't it wasn't that I didn't like but I just didn't use as much are starting to see a bit more value so for instance uh, a big piece I'm starting to like a lot more than I used to is the uh, Orc Fuel Buck okay because uh, it's APDA a APDA or explosive so it's explosive burst 1 but in a link you know, as an ARO it's burst 2 or it's APDA uh, and it's you know damage 14 so it's quite good um, so as how things will change um, so in my current um, my current shock army list I've got both a bag marine sniper and a bag HMG the bag HMG does the active work and the sniper does the reactive work more often than not I'd not be surprised it's just a straight swap seeing both of them removed and replaced with an orc fuel buck um, it's got the armor which means it's actually because armor is armor is 100% relevant now yep um, so it's it's also an excellent ARO piece with explosive and fuel buck and that really long flat range and it's also really good in active it doesn't have the dice and um, you know what that means is like it's going to be less consistent as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you throw five dice at with Bagmarie numbers, you, you're winning almost all the time. You're not going to win as often with the orc, but you do have like a good ballistic skill to start with. You've got good range bands, and you've got armor just in case it goes wrong. Um, so that that's my first my first thought is I'm going to I think you're going to see a few more of those like fuel bark style weapons that are like really good but kind of like that two to three um, burst uh, so I, I, I'm not sure if burst is like I don't think burst is dead yeah at all because you're still going to have plenty of cheap things that you can go after yeah I don't think that's going to be the case at all um, what, what I can see happening is that there like you say with, you, with your foyer back there's going to be a while there's still not the be all, be all and end all people will put more weight in AP weapons yeah or, or things that ignore cover to get rid of that cover sure. Uh, if they exist, because we're not exactly sure how like templates will work. But for instance, like if a HRL exists as it does now, because HRLs are pretty cheap weapons, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of like cheap HRL um, heavy infantry. Having a burst three HRL is like, you know, like hitting and then ignoring that cover on top of that, you know, and trying to get wounds through that way. I can see that those sort of things um, instead of just being like HMG or bust. Yep. Um, I really hate the change they did to snipers though. Um, the fact Which that changes that. Oh, having, so snipers are the um, ammo types yeah so yeah. It, it, right now it's AP or DA burst 2 yeah and the new sniper change it's AP burst 2 or DA burst 1 Ooh. and it is the worst sorry guys like there is so much good that they've done and that is like one of the worst changes I've seen it's yeah. so bad like that's the, that's what it used to be in N2 and guess what no one took fucking snipers mm. no one took them it was, it was HMG or bus right and yes, armor is more valuable than it used to be, but like, you didn't need to like cut that DA down. Like, it's it's such a bad change, and like, I just don't get it because mm. you get it. Like, I can't see any reason to take an unlinked sniper now because you can't like actively 
shooting and only getting AP if you do like a burst two if you do AP. I'm not using a like a non-link sniper unless it's like one that was already excellent. Like a, a post-human sniper was good because it's just good. Good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I find that like that change is real bad. <laughs> That's yeah. a real bad one. Yeah. Okay. Um, this next question from Maz Marriott again uh, is sort of goes on with what we're talking about in using. Uh, code 1 as a basis for N4 yep. so it's thoughts on using code 1 actually that's exactly what it says thoughts on using code 1 as a basis for N4 changes yep. um, do you think the release of the current starter rule set uh, has been a reasonable indicator for things going forwards or do you think at the moment it's just muddying the waters and causing unnecessary tension so it, it definitely is mm. causing tension there's yeah. no way it and, doesn't I mean, like you've said you've had 3 or 4 games in the past week yep. or so every single one of them has been a hodgepodge yes. mix of N3 and Code 1. Yeah. So, so like, and, and, and I just want to stress that any of my opinions are literally firstly coloured by the fact that like I play a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and secondly, um, could not be correct. They could, the game could be completely different. And But like, we're just sort of trying to get some sort of rough idea, you know what I mean? So like, and, and trying to make points about that. I think uh, it is a mistake to like look at all of code one and go it is that is how it's going to work and think there's yeah. certain things that probably will will stay i wouldn't be surprised for instance whether i like it or not that whatever a weapon does in code one i wouldn't be surprised to see it be the same because i think that would be confused like for instance like there's be too much of a change for a new person for instance right like from one to the next yeah i'll flat out say i hate that sniper change right yeah but i wouldn't be surprised to see that in n4 because i think it would be really weird to go from code one and, and a we- and a weapon work a certain way and then it work very differently. Like, oh, now it's now it's double action in both active and reactive. Like that doesn't seem to. There's no simplicity in changing that between the two editions, so I don't think that will change. Yeah, uh, but it might, and that's fine too. But like, um, all we're doing right now is like, yeah, looking through tea leaves and trying to you know figure figure out what the game's going to look like. There's some things that I think we can say with pretty. Pretty, pretty good certainty you know for instance we, we can make the assumption that armor is going to be uh, more valuable because mm-hmm. um, the crits I crits are going to work the way they say they are there's no way they're going to work differently I don't think yeah um, so there are certain things and there's there's other things like the cover one I hope is just a code one thing mm. uh, I really on top of the other changes that like are likely I really don't want a cover to work I actually don't think it's easy, like less confusing mm. I, we had a few points in our game where I'm like, that's cover? Yeah. And you think, like, we had a spot over here where I was on a roof. I could see his tag and it wouldn't be cover. But because of the way that the rules work now, he was up against a piece of cover and part of him was obstructed. Yeah. It would count as cover. But, like, we can both say with fair confidence, like, that shouldn't have been cover. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't think it makes it easier I think in some ways it, and, and to a, to an earlier question about immersion for me that pulls me out yeah like how unrealistic that that cover is and I don't think you're gaining a benefit really um, do we want a game that's like that grindy mm-hmm. do we want a game that's like impossible to or very 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 difficult to not get cover with um, I, I'm not sure I'm not sure that we do particularly um, when some army's way of dealing with things is to brute force through if they're just more resilient, like Pano takes a hit, right? Because Pano has to brute force through everything. It yeah. can't smoke and ignore. And what I would find is if like, if it was that level of like grindy, what you'll find is people just go in missions where they can, they'll just smoke and go. Yeah. And, and then just turtle in. 
Uh, so I, I think that you run the risk of becoming a, a bit more static mm. if, if, if everything's a bit too survivable. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've done a bit of tea leaf gazing, but yes. next question some full-on tea leaves. Oh, proper I'll, tea I'll, leaves. I'll grab my tinfoil hat. Yeah, that's well, not necessarily, <laughs> p- perhaps, but Bob Fletcher asks, post N4... Where do you see Infinity going? So not even, oh, not even, man. not even, not even post N three, post N four. Where do you see Infinity going? An update to the rules by itself is going to inject some newness into the game uh, that will help invigorate current or lapsed players as well as attract new ones. But CB is still going to be able uh, to bring out the new shiny after that. Uh, any thoughts on what you think? that might look like oh man that's that's way too big for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what infinity is going to yeah. look like and and the answer is like we're not sure like there's some things we can say but i, I have no idea yeah. that, one, that one's so it's, far away but but i mean he, he's got a fair point in that like leading up to, over the past two years we've seen so many new sectorials yeah. added into the game is there room for them to keep doing that in a in a in a in four environment yeah look i I love this game before they ramped up and put five new sectorials in a year and all that sort of stuff. I was, and I still was finding it interesting. There was still, all they need to do for me to stay interested, they can keep exactly the same amount of armies, just release new models. Like, I picked up Caledonia when they brought out the new Caledonia starter because those models were cool, but I hated the old ones, right? Like, it had nothing to do with, like, the profiles were always the same. Uh, but I just wanted some models to, to, to match with that. So for me personally, I don't really need to see massive spikes in five new armies a year, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, all I needed to do is see armies that I want to build and paint. Because, But I mean, from, from a business perspective for CB, bringing out five new armies in a year sells a lot of models. Yeah, for sure. Um, me personally, I'll probably buy them anyway. That's the reality. Sure. Like, the thing stopping me playing an army is can I get it looking decent? Um there are um, armies out there that like have bad models, old models that I just don't play because the models are bad. Like mm-hmm. I don't play Corregidor because it's kind of like missing a few key components that I just couldn't be bothered like converting and proxying yeah. with them. If they have a full range, then I'll probably buy it. Mm. Um, almost every army I can play and I, I think I can do well with. Almost every army. Uh, so like the army itself is kind of like... It, if the army looks good and the army is probably good at, like there's enough balance in infinity that the, between the best and the worst you can do well with it um, that I personally don't need to see that 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 level of growth uh, and what you could do is you know add new units to additional armies like jazz was a big deal for Corregidor like just adding jazz um, changes uh, Corregidor up in, in some really cool ways you mm. know like hacking is now something that Corregidor can do for an army that had so many repeaters but couldn't hack yeah <laughs> that's a big deal so like you don't need to make whole armies to make armies interesting or change them like the thing about Infinity is it's a deck of cards and all you need to do is change one or two things and everything changes so um, add new units to in, in, into different armies yeah that's what I'd prefer than to see massive like if there's an army that should exist, like for instance, if they wanted to add Black Hand for Nomads, that to me is an army that should exist and I'd be cool. Like, great. That'd be good. But don't just add something because they think they you need to. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. Okay. Um, well, Gav, we've come along to the very last question oh, here we go. Of, uh, of the day. It's probably the most important question of all. Mm. Uh, it comes from Peter Henry. Yes. Uh, would you rather fight 
one Julian-sized duck or 100 duck-sized Julians. Oh, man. I love ducks, so I'm not fighting a duck. And the idea of, like, belting a million little Julians... Yeah, I think I'm going to go for that. 100 yeah. duck-sized Julians. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's a tricky question because ducks are very aggressive. Uh, well, not. I mean, swans and geese are very aggressive. Ducks, not so much. Ducks but... are sweet, man. Like, he's, honestly, like, one of... When I need to calm down, I'll just, like, watch some ducks with their little ducklings behind them, and I'm instantly in a fucking good mood. Yeah. Hey? Like, I love watching little baby ducks waddle up with their parents. That's, like, the dream to me. So I'm not punching... I'm not punching... <laughs> one gigantic a Julian duck. <laughs> sized duck. No way. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, these days, uh, Julian's not quite as slim as he used to be uh, when he was uh, full into his bodybuilding. Mm. So, so that's one big duck. Yeah, be... Yeah, <laughs> Maybe a tanky duck. Yeah. Well, um... So it's less about wanting to beat up Julian and more about me but not wanting to beat up sure. the duck. Sure. No, that's, that's completely fair. Completely fair. But, um... Yeah, that's... that's what about you? Who, you? who are you taking on? Oh, well, I'm going to have to agree. It's got to be the Julian, right? Like, because of, like, all the times he, he hijacks a podcast. That's 100%. Like... The Lord of War. Yeah. I could... <laughs> if I had a hundred one-foot-high Julians, like, I'm sure... I wouldn't do a podcast with them. I can guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking, you imagine that? <laughs> oh. But um, but yeah, in a, in a straight up fight, I reckon that that uh, I'm just imagining every time you tap that thing, saying, "Wait your turn." Oh yeah, my, my little my little uh, don't interrupt sign. Yeah. Good God, it's, 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 it's gotten me, it's gotten me through some hard times. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, but um, mm. like that's all the questions we've gotten from from all from our audience. So, mm. did you have anything else you wanted to say about about the game or or, or just in general? Um, look, it's it's obviously a tough time for everyone, and when 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 people are sitting around not doing a lot, it's quite easy to sort of you know focus on the negative or sort of like obsess over these little things. The Corvus Belly are, are a good bunch of people, um, and they've made an excellent game. Uh, There'll be some stuff that you don't like. There's stuff I don't like. Um, you know, change is scary. I am an old man yelling at a cloud. <laughs> um, but I think overall, when uh, all said and done, the game will, will still be um, what, what we love. So let's. Yeah, uh, even, even if all these changes come through that we don't like, the game itself, we will adapt and we will uh, still stick with this game that we know and love because. It's, it is still such a great game and the people that we play with are great people and the, like you said before the main reason that you play Infinity is for the people that you're playing with yeah so the, the core of Infinity um, protects protects uh, the designers from some some decisions the fact that the core of the game uh, is so good means that like you can get away with some things and the game itself will sort of like insulate them so I wouldn't be worried I think the game's going to be excellent I think it's going to and there is so much awesome stuff like in some ways there's a lot of like you can tell that there's going to be like a lot more dynamism. The fact that like the, the way dodging works, we had it come up multiple times in our game and it was really, really cool. I love moving in the yeah. active turn on dodge. Yeah. I love it. The way it works and the way that like it doesn't generate an arrow, there's so much like interesting play that will happen. There will be so much cool stuff that comes out of this. So like tr even if there is something you don't like, um, I, th I think it's a good idea just to not f like focus on the whole, not one individual thing. Um, because one individual thing probably won't break the game. So don't stress too much. Awesome. And I look forward to seeing you all uh, when, when things uh, calm down. 100%. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Gav. Thanks, Thank for, uh, thanks for the chat. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you've been listening to, uh, to Lost Lieutenant. I'm Nick and... Gavin. 
and you uh, you stay safe. Cool cats and kittens.